This is a podcast from China Daily Hong Kong. Thanks for tuning in to a brand new show called Sapient, where we invite on people who are making a mark in Hong Kong society and chat about their speciality, their trailblazing career, and what's yet to come. As our first guest, I'll be speaking to Anders Nelson, an actor and musician who emerged in the Hong Kong music scene in the 1960s. A Swedish American, his family moved to China in the 1950s, and Anders has called Hong Kong home ever since. He was a member of the popular Hong Kong group called the Continentals, as well as Anders Nelson and the Inspiration, and would later become an actor and star in hit movies and TV shows, including playing a role in Bruce Lee's Way of the Dragon. Anders, thanks so much for joining me in the podcast today. Thank you. Apart from being one of the coolest guys in the city, Anders Nelson's artistic career unfolded through the varied periods of Hong Kong, ultimately becoming the well-respected staple in the entertainment industry he is today. Was it in Simshatoi where you would hang out and jam with Bruce Lee? No, that that was at the Golden Harvest Studios.、Ah, okay. I I never hung out with him. The pictures you might have seen of me playing guitar and and him clapping his hands and singing along was on the set of Way of the Dragon. We we never actually had a chance to hang out or or jam. Before or after that particular experience, the last time、uh, after we first met, and then I met a few friends the next day who were from KG Five, and I told them that I met you at the dinner, and I showed them the photo, and they were like, "What? That's the、um, KG Five legend right there." Do you still go back and jam with your KG Five people? No, I go and pay them a hundred bucks each to say nice things about me. <laughs> I read somewhere that you actually you still go back to KG Five and jam over there. Well, okay,、uh, there have been a couple of、uh, alumni reunions. The last time we actually this is way before your time, but there was a、uh, popular group in the '60s called Jerry and the Pacemakers.、Uh, they're probably best known for、uh, their "Hawk Alone," which、uh, one of the big football teams has adopted as their. Oh yes, their theme song. Yes, I know and, that one.、Uh, they were in town. I had booked them for a corporate event, and I told Jerry that、uh, a local old people's home, elderly people's home, called the China Coast Community,、uh, was in desperate need of of money because their roof was leaking. They have a house in Kowloon Tong,、ah. but so he said immediately, "Let's do something." So we did. We did a show at KG Five to raise funds, and we managed to raise enough for them to fix their roof. So it's going back like eighteen nineties. I don't go there regularly to jam.、Okay. I don't really know the the current generation of of musicians. Right, right. So I don't know how that rumor started. Probably because of the alumni events. Right, right. So I know you you live in new territories and you spend most of your many decades in Hong Kong, living in new territories. What has that experience done for you in terms of submerging yourself in the Chinese culture, especially back in the decades when most expats living in Hong Kong lived on the island side, as you know, 
But I traveled from Sha Tin in the New Territories to Kowloon Junior School and then subsequently KG5, the King George V School. So my family lived in Hunan from 47 to uh, mid-49. You flew in Mandarin as well as Cantonese, correct? Oh, okay. Uh, I deny being fluent in either. (laughs) I'm certainly not fluent in Mandarin. I can get by when I've traveled. But uh, my Cantonese is far better. You know, a lot of my early experiences were more in Tim Sartoy and and centered around KG5. And I had friends at KG5 of almost all nationalities. It was amazing. The last year I spent at uh, KG5, we were, I think, something amazing, like 46 different nationalities in my upper sixth form. Oh, wow. Which is pretty amazing. So... um, I, d- I never consciously mixed with any particular crowd. Right. My my circle of friends was very eclectic, mm-hmm. and I but I tried to learn Chinese at a very young age. As a veteran uh, musician and with a career making music in the city for decades, I wanted to get your thoughts on how the band world, in your opinion, has changed in Hong Kong over the decades till now. The last one year has been really tough on musicians in the city getting gigs as well. So I just want to get your opinion on uh, how you feel Mm. about the musicians being able to play again after a long year. Well, the last two years have been a disaster with, first of all, uh, some protests which caused some events to be cancelled. And then, obviously, COVID, which closed down just about everything. So it is it is a blessing for them to be able to play, even if it's on a limited basis. But, uh, you know, some musicians have been completely wiped out, all their savings gone from uh, having to survive. And uh, many of them turn to other jobs during this time, like right. food deliveries. So that has been sad. And I'm glad uh, we, we appear to be turning the corner. But uh, obviously, any places that rely on tourists are still suffering because of the borders still being uh, pretty much closed. Right. If you see band music being played today, whether it's at a live music place or, or mm. anywhere, how would you compare it nowadays to, you know, back in the days when you first started playing in a band? It has become much more of what they call an industry. It's much more commercialized. There is, you know, a local scene. There is an organization, band performances. So that aspect is pretty much the same. But there was a kind of camaraderie back in the 60s where, you know, if I broke a string on stage, you would lend me your guitar, you know, with full six strings on it or with an amplifier blowing a speaker and so on. There there was a difference in that it was a very friendly sort of uh, scene rather than a quote-unquote industry where it's very heavily competitive. What about the integration in terms of the integration between local music and local musicians? And I know there's a lot of South, nowadays right. there's a lot of Southeast Asians, a lot of Filipinos, Nepali, who do a lot of band music, live band music. So what about the integration of these different uh, ethnic cultures and languages? Has that? Do you think it's more integrated now in Hong Kong? Not really. It's always been English language, pop, rock, whatever the style of the music was, and then local language. 
uh, canto pop, thanks to uh, mainly Sam Hui, who's called the godfather of the the canto pop scene, right. uh, came in and swung back towards Cantonese music. But uh, like in the case of Sam Hui, his background was in English language pop and rock and rock and roll. And uh, that is always there, has always been there. But, you know, one dominates for a while and then comes down a bit and then the other one dominates. But for the past 30 years, since the 80s, which was a golden era for canto pop. I think the one thing I would say about canto pop is that it has remained a bit stagnant, which is why there was a peak in the uh, early to mid 80s, but it hasn't reached those same heights in in the past 20 years. It's just sort of plotted along, but it is the dominant kind of music as far as turnover in dollars and cents is concerned. One huge difference between the old days and today is the number of uh, local kids who have gone overseas and studied music formally. Mm. At, for example, the, that number has increased. So the quality where there's some excellent musicians around. And of course, they choose what kind of music they want to play for their own pleasure and then they try to get work as uh, session musicians doing recordings and so on. And quite often, those two types of music will be totally different. They may play jazz for their own pleasure or punk or whatever. Right. And then to earn a living, then they, they play what's required by the marketplace. And to a certain extent, that indicates that uh, families have had the resources to send their kids overseas to study. And the receptivity Whereas, to study, let them study those kind of right. subjects as well is encouraging. Right. Well, local families have become more open to their children studying the arts. You know, back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s, it was very much a hope in every family that their children would become doctors, lawyers, and accountants, sure, because those were the respectable professions and where you could earn a lot of money. Provide, provide Whereas, means to support the family, uh, yeah. Right. Well, you know, back in the 40s, 50s, uh, if a girl became a singer, it was very close to almost being a prostitute. It was right. very much looked down on. And uh, a man or a, a boy who wanted to become a musician was also very much discouraged by the family. I mean, it was it was almost like joining a gang, you know, right. not, not something respectable. Well, I think that's changed and it's gradually changing. I've read you've worked as a consultant with the music industry on the Chinese mainland as well. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on comparing the current music scene in parts of mainland China to Hong Kong, from both from styles to any rising undergrounds that you've noticed, and particularly amongst the youth today. Well, I said earlier that I felt the local scene in Hong Kong has stagnated a bit. And I 
I don't blame that on the musicians or the singers. They're very much uh, manufactured and manipulated by the record companies. I, I, I think the record companies in general are a bit maybe conservative or just stuck in their ways. Right. You know, they, they work to a formula. Whereas up north and then down south in China, it seems to be much more varied. And you have like very different tastes. The southern part of China uh, has only recently kind of let go of being influenced by Hong Kong and is developing their own uh, scene. And up north is much more rock orientated. And then you get uh, up in Mongolia, for example, you get some amazing bands who combine uh, very ethnic local sounds with Western rock. And, uh, you know, even adding some throat singing sounds to it and i love that i've heard that before the mongolian the throat singing rock kind of uh, i've i've heard it it's really amazing actually well i think that is what's going to break through internationally someday rather than just following blindly you know the american formula the formulaic sort of thing yeah there's a lot that way it's just following what's popular in the west And I think that's a shame because there are so many interesting sounds and ethnic cultures of varying types all the way from the far north down to the far south and east and west. And China is is so huge that there are different cultures. And I I find that, uh, you know, musicians seem much more into experimentation in various places in China. But, you know, I'm I'm no longer in the business, so to speak. I've more or less retired from that. So things change very quickly. And I, I, I have to admit to being a little bit out of touch. But, you know, I, I do watch uh, videos on Yuku and YouTube, you know, to, str- to try to stay up to date. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, if you have the undercurrent of wanting to experiment and try something new and perhaps, you know, infusing a lot of who you are, are and what your culture is and then perhaps adding that with other influences whether it's from the west or what have you i think that's where the good stuff comes out of it rather than just pure copy paste appropriation and i think that's why in india for example bollywood as everybody knows the music industry has continuously thrived and flourished and changed and evolved for for their own people for a billion and a half people much more than that actually people who watch and listen to bollywood music right right a lot of the bollywood hits combine local ethnic instruments and sounds with, with then, you know, guitars and keyboards and exactly. Western drums and so on, far more so than, than any other country in Asia, right? Uh, to my mind. It's leading my next question because like, so what is Hong Kong's identity then, you know, for it, for it to be able to create this um, new wave cultural musical renaissance that you're talking about? So I was wondering, I really believe that Hong Kong can become like the LA Hollywood of the Greater Bay Area and Southeast Asia because you know there's so there's a huge Southeast Asian population here. Hong Kong is still the most international city and region and has the experience, has gone through the highs and lows. I was wondering what you think about that of Hong Kong being the LA Hollywood of the whole Greater Bay Area initiative. Do you think that sounds good or it's plausible? Absolutely. You know, we hit a high point in the 60s and then again in the 80s as I mentioned where we reached the pinnacle of films music, uh, advertising, you know, all the culture-related arts 
even very commercial ones where the whole region looked up to us. And then even Hollywood, you had directors like, you know, Steven Spielberg has been quoted as mentioning Hong Kong and Hong Kong film culture and uh, others as well. And then somehow it has been going downhill, sadly. Look at Korea. Look at the amount of money and encouragement and schooling and training that goes into that whole K-pop scene. And that's been going on for quite a number of years where there is a lot of training and a lot of education. Sure. And my motherland of Sweden, also the emphasis on music and not only classical music, you know, today's pop music is the classical music of 100 years from now. And the music of Beethoven and Bach and Mozart was the pop music of their days. And there is kind of a a snooty looking down your nose at pop music. I'm sure you're aware there's an academy for the performing arts in Wan Chai. There should be one in each district. Hong Kong has, I think, 18 districts. Uh, There should be one in each. And if not one in each, then one in... Hong Kong, one in Kowloon, uh, and five in the new territories in various places. You know, for for more kids to go and be trained in singing, dancing, backstage, technical arts, and so on. Filmmaking definitely should be far more encouraged, and there should be far more training and education in film. Sure. And uh, there's no reason why you know. A combination of the government and the jockey club that we couldn't afford to have at least a couple of, uh, you know, international level film schools in, in Hong Kong. I know that some of the universities have courses, but it's nowhere near enough. And it should be at the level where, you know, students come in from around the region to study in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong needs to be, as you said, be looked up to as the regional leader in that respect. And I I feel that you're absolutely right. The Greater Bay Area could have its creative center in Hong Kong. And, you know, in the film industry, the last film I participated in where I had a small role was in India, in a Bollywood film. Okay. And everybody on set spoke very good English. Everybody from, you know, the guys who were handling the lights and recording and the everybody from the director producer down, they spoke very good English and you could have taken someone from anywhere and put them into that situation and uh, would have no problem cooperating, surviving, acting, you know, doing their job. And I think that's what Hong Kong needs to aim at too, to be an international greater Bay area center uh, you know i'm i'm not discriminating against any particular language or culture but english is the international language still english and mandarin you know in in future uh, you could argue mandarin may take over but for the time being you know if you're going to make films in this region the common language if you're going to involve people from la and london Paris, Rome, or, try, or, hit, or hit markets from those other areas around the world. Yeah, yeah. And and to cooperate with with Bollywood, then you need to have a common language. And I think for at least the next couple of decades, 
English is the common language. And I think also you mentioned, you know, drawing in artists from Southeast Asia, then looking up to and being able to come here to thrive, even from other parts of the Greater Bay Area, even if, you know, like you said, there's a, there's a much more keener interest in experimental music and they're trying to find their own identity, but they still can come to Hong Kong and then connect with the right. English international channels and be able to take that to the next level. This is why uh, Korean, the Korean industry has become so strong, not just with K-pop, but with uh, TV series, films. The government has invested in it as a business, as an industry, as right. a cultural industry. Right. It should be an investment in the future of Soft power. Uh, the coming generations. Yeah, and as a result, the soft power of Hong Kong's culture. Yeah. Right, the soft power of Hong Kong, soft power of, of China. We are a part of China that should work hand in hand, uh, and it has. There have been some uh, successful films made with Hong Kong involvement, but you know the involvement and the cooperation can can grow. But uh, the software, the people, is somewhat lacking. I think that you know there definitely needs to be an investment. In, in education in the music and film fields. Right. In Chinese mainland, in Shanghai or every, anywhere else you've been and consulted or been exposed to the, the music that's happening there right now. What do you right. see for that in the future? And like in terms of, is that a growing interest in Hong Kong even? Do you see that becoming something that can produce more content from this part of the world for the rest of the world? Absolutely. There is a very strong music and film industry in China. A lot of the support for that has come from the, the few big tech companies and a, and a couple of just major corporations who have invested in what you would call the soft power. You know, if you don't sell in your own backyard and you're not successful in your own backyard, you can't expect to be successful Overseas, but there is a younger generation here in Hong Kong and and in Asia in general who are not so local centric. They they think globally right. because of the internet, because of YouTube. You know, they think globally. They don't think in terms of I'm going to impress my immediate neighborhood. Right. No, they think in terms of just having a hit and hoping for a hit worldwide. And I think that is just going to spread all over Asia, yeah. Southeast Asia, from India through to Japan and all the way from China down to Indonesia and the Philippines. Yeah, And hopefully, you know, I'm a great believer in Hong Kong. I'm a Hong Kong person through and through. And, uh, okay, we're in, we're in a low point at the moment, but so is the whole world. When we bounce back, hopefully we'll bounce back with some amazing films and some amazing music as well. You know, I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. It's a brand new show, Sapient, and I appreciate having you on as the first guest. It's my honor. My honor to be your first guest. That's all for this segment, guys. Until next time, stay healthy. <laughs>